Welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. The William G. Pomeroy Foundation has declared April 30th to be National Historic Marker Day to raise awareness of historic markers and to encourage communities to care for their existing markers. To celebrate, we have three guests. Our first is Emily Blavos, the Executive Director of the Alabama Folklife Association. As such, She's in charge of the Pomeroy Foundation's Legends and Lore Marker Grant Program for Alabama. Welcome, Emily. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about both the Alabama Folklife Association and the Pomeroy's Legends and Lore Program? Sure. Well, I'll start with Pomeroy. I love this program because, you know, we're used to seeing historical markers that commemorate actual historical events and people. And what Pomeroy did with this program was create a way for us to capture all of those stories and superstitions and local characters and local legends that maybe have some grounding in history, but we can't prove them and are still such an important part of our community heritage and our folk life. So these markers are designed to give communities an opportunity to lift up those stories that aren't necessarily completely historical. Maybe there was a person who actually lived, but then there are, you know, fantastical stories about him or her. And that's the kind of stuff that goes on these markers. So the Pomeroy Foundation has these markers going in 11 states, and Alabama is one of them. What they did very wisely was choose an organization in each state to be their partner. The Alabama Folklife Association serves as kind of on-the-ground partner for Pomeroy to generate these applications for these markers. We work with individuals and organizations and communities across the state to try to get them to apply for these markers, to work with them on finding partners, to work with them on the language, because the character limits for these markers is very short. The Alabama Folklife Association is a statewide arts nonprofit. We were founded in 1980, and our mission is to document, preserve, present, and promote the multicultural folkways of Alabama. So we were kind of a perfect fit for this program because that's what we do anyway, document and present and promote folk life. And of course, folk life is just a huge category. It includes all of those things that get passed down through the generations, whether it be music or dance or recipes or fishing traditions, anything you can think of that gets passed down is a part of our folk life. Wonderful. Now, the Alabama Folklife Association is an organization that relies on members, right? It is, yes. It's a 501c3 nonprofit, so we rely on our members, and of course, we rely on grant funding. We're a partner organization of the Alabama State Arts Council, which means that they very generously uh, support us as well. How can people who are interested in the Alabama Folklife Association find out more? Yes, please visit our website. It's just alabamafolklife.org. 
We have a social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And that's also just Alabama Folklife. Um, and you'll find on our website links to all of our different programs. We have a really fun one going on right now called Folk in Five, where we're asking Alabamians to submit five-minute videos talking about their family tradition or their community tradition. So you can watch some of those videos on our website and hopefully submit your own too. Thanks for that. Let's go back to the Pomeroy Legends and Lore program in Alabama. How many markers are already set up and how many more do you have planned? The grant cycle is actually open right now and it's closing on May 3rd. I'm not sure how many applications will come in. Hopefully we'll get a good representation from Alabama. We always have in the past. But right now there are seven markers in Alabama. Most of them have been put up. Some of them are still in the works. And those are spread kind of throughout the state. They're in Mobile, Jackson, Carrollton, Spanish Fort, Oxford, Livingston, and Town Creek. Communities big and small and all different kinds of stories. We have ghost stories. We have tree stories. We have stories about how different places got their names. It's been a really fun program to work on. How long will it continue in Alabama? Do you know? We've been working with Pomeroy since 2018. So this is a relatively new program for them, and we're excited to be one of those first 11 states, but hopefully they'll continue it and they'll expand it as well, because um, of course, you know, every state has these stories and, and folk life that are fun to promote. And the other thing I like about this program is that when you put up a marker, and, and of course, Pomeroy funds the marker, that's the program, you apply for the marker and Pomeroy provides all of the funding for the marker to print it, to get it to you, and then you're just responsible for getting it put up. But usually, you know, your city works will, will do that for you. But what I love about it is that you can really augment community development, city development, downtown revitalization tourism, all the stuff that your community is already doing, you can use this to sort of boost it and make it fit in with what you've already got going on. So a lot of times, you know, you can plan a little ceremony around the marker or tie it in with some festival or event that you're already doing. It's purpose to really boost what's already going on. Emily, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And I hope this inspires people to apply to this great program. Dr. Alex Coven is our second guest. She is the public programs curator of the Department of Archives and History, and through a partnership of the Pomeroy Foundation and the National Collaborative for Women's History Sites, she is the director of the Alabama section of the National Votes for Women's Trail. These are not the only partners involved in this. So Alex, thank you for joining us today. And please explain what this Voting Trail Pomeroy Foundation partnership is all about. Thanks, Marty. In 2020, where 100 years ago, women were able to get the right to vote through the passage of the 19th Amendment, to get ready for the centennial, the Alabama Department of Archives and History partnered with the League of Women Voters of Alabama and the Alabama State Bar to create the Alabama Women's Suffrage Centennial Committee. That committee partnered with the National Votes for Women Trail to find and locate sites in Alabama to work for this national commemoration. The Votes for Women Trail is trying to find at least 
five sites in every state where suffrage work was happening. It can be a place where maybe a suffrage event was held, the home of a suffragist, the location of a debate, any kind of activity associated with the women's suffrage movement, they want to be able to highlight it. So they had some parameters for us. It needs to happen before 1920. You have to have primary source evidence linking it to the site. And preferably, they wanted locations that still looked like they did when the event occurred, because their hope is this will be a driving trail for people. So as they go through the 50 states, they could look on their phone, they could find a location on the trail, stop there and experience that place as if they were experiencing the suffrage era. How many markers have y'all been able to put up in Alabama? We've been able to find and locate six sites for markers across Alabama. In Huntsville, Decatur, Birmingham, Selma, Tuskegee, and Mobile. So we've got a great geographic range for these markers. And each of them kind of put together tells an amazing story of the suffrage movement in Alabama. Can you go through some of these markers for us? Of course, I would be happy to. I'd like to talk to you about it in chronological order so you can kind of get a sense of what the suffrage movement looked like. The very first uh, in chronology that we can talk about is Decatur. In Decatur, it's at the place where the Eccles Opera House once stood. In 1895, Susan B. Anthony and Carrie Chapman Catt, who are these huge national figures in the suffrage movement, came to Decatur to give a talk to the burgeoning suffrage associations here. And so Decatur was actually the site of one of the first suffrage organizations in the state. They hosted Susan B. Anthony and Carrie Chapman Cat there. And so we're gonna have a place where the Eccles Opera House once stood. This is the early movement where they're trying to get an amendment to the state constitution in 1901 and some of these early suffragists. Unfortunately, in 1901, there is no amendment made to this new constitution that allows for women's suffrage. So in Alabama, the suffrage movement kind of dies. And it doesn't really start to reform until the 19-teens. So our next marker is in Selma, where in 1910, you have a suffrage association forming again. So they start to reform in the 19-teens with this new generation of suffragists. So you have the Selma Association 1910, and then in Huntsville, we have a marker where the Huntsville Equal Suffrage Association reformed, the YMCA, where it formed. And in 1914, that's where they have the Alabama Equal Suffrage Association annual meeting. In Mobile in 1914, we located the house of Eugenie Marks, who was the first president of their suffrage association. It's one of the later suffrage organizations to form in that second round. Those round out and show how in the 19-teens it's starting to come back as this question, are women going to get the right to vote? And once again, they go at the state level and they want to get an amendment to that constitution. They get really close in 1915. Our marker in Birmingham shows one way they were trying to garner support. So the marker in Birmingham is at Rickwood Field, which was the home of the Birmingham Barons. And on August 18th, 1915, they hosted Suffrage Day at the Birmingham Baron Ballpark. 
All the players are wearing yellow sashes. There are these big votes for women, banners floating on Rickwood Field. The women are in the press box and they're handing out literature and they let women play the first inning of the game to show that they can play the game as the men do. This was considered a huge success for the suffragists as people from different walks of life came to the ballpark and it got to experience and get to learn about suffrage. There was this hope that they're gonna get the suffrage amendment to the constitution at the state level, but it doesn't go through. So after that, they're focused on getting a federal amendment. There's something missing, that sixth location this story has largely been about white women fighting for the right to vote, but it doesn't really show all Alabama women. So the sixth location that we proposed was in Tuskegee, and it was to honor Adela Hunt Logan, who was a black suffragist who taught at Tuskegee. She was one of the founders of the Tuskegee Women's Club, and she headed their suffrage department. She held monthly lectures about suffrage. She maintained the library and brought in suffrage materials for women to read. It was really central in both Alabama, but also at a national level for encouraging African-American women to fight for the right to vote and encouraging white women to include African-Americans in their fight for the vote. That sounds like it required an amazing amount of research. You didn't do all of this yourself, did you? Oh, of course not. No, we had so much help at the local level of people looking into their archives, their kind of histories at the local level. So in Huntsville, Donna Castellano was able to locate not just this one site, but six other sites that are going to be honored through AHA markers, through markers at the city level, Peggy Towns and Decatur, Barbara Cadell in Mobile, Valerie Burns for Selma and Tuskegee kind of helped out with both research there. We had Caroline Von Cross, Laura Hill. I could go on and on about people who just even helped out with one or two resources. Tara White has helped out tremendously also with Tuskegee. It was one of those moments where it was a bunch of women across the state coming together to do this research and put together the packets for these nominations. Did they approach you about markers or did you reach out to the various locations in the state and ask for assistance? We approached other, other people looking for assistance because we knew that we wanted to help find these sites. We knew we wouldn't be able to do it alone. We knew this had to be something done at the local level, not the state level. So we really reached out to a lot of people. Valerie Burns was actually one of the first people we reached out to and she kind of tapped into her network across the state, be able to find a lot of people to do that research at the local level. Are there going to be any more Pomeroy National Votes for Women's Trail markers put up in Alabama, or is that six the limit of them? That six is the limit of them. This was just around the centennial. They gave us a lot of time leading up to it to do the research. But once the centennial ended, the marker program is going to end. But it's not just Alabama, of course, that has all these markers. This is something across the nation that is going to be interconnected, which is what's amazing. But like I said, with Donna and Huntsville, it spurred all this research that even though we weren't able to get nomination packets done necessarily in time for Pomeroy, 
I definitely see maybe some Alabama Historical Association markers that are going to be coming up related to women's suffrage. Are there any plans beyond the trail to continue marking places that have to do with women's suffrage in Alabama? Unfortunately, not at this time beyond the extra research that we're going to be doing to the Alabama Historical Association. I know that in Huntsville, they are kind of creating their own citywide trail, but not anything at the state level. I hope that people will see these and become inspired to look into their own local research. What happened here? Who was a suffragist in the wiregrass? We actually have someone here at the archives, Hayden McDaniel, who has done research into uh, Scotty McKenzie Frazier in the wiregrass. So maybe she'll be able to turn that into a, a marker, you know, and that we might be able to have people find some more of these women and more of these organizations that we can honor through the Alabama Historical Association or other means. With that, we'll leave you, Alex, and thank you very much for working with us today. Thank you so much. Our last guest is Scotty Kirkland, the Exhibits, Publications, and Programs Coordinator at Alabama Department of Archives and History, who is also the Alabama Historical Association Marker Committee Chair. Scotty, Alex finished off her talk by noting that a lot of the research that was going on for the National Votes for Women's Trail is likely to lead to Alabama Historic Association markers. Can you discuss the AHA marker program for anybody who cares to know how that operates? I'd be happy to, Marty, and thanks for asking me to participate. As Alex talked with you about the Pomeroy program, you know, there are a number of suffrage-related events in Alabama that take place after Pomeroy's 1920 cutoff date for this slate of markers for the National Votes for Women Trail. The work, especially in Huntsville, that was done for that Pomeroy marker led into the idea for another marker that occurred after the ratification of the 19th Amendment. This is an event that went largely unheralded in Huntsville and Alabama history in larger cities in Alabama. African-American women were able to register for the first time in the late fall of 1920 and into 1921. So definitely something that would be akin to the Pomeroy markers, but this is a time period that's beyond their 1920 cutoff date. In Huntsville, that led to the idea for an AHA marker noting the six African-American women who were able to register to vote in 1920 and 1921. And so we were very happy to receive from the Historic Huntsville Foundation this marker request uh, by the same group of dedicated people that worked for Huntsville's Pomeroy marker for the National Votes for Women Trail. This is an AHA marker that talks about the process of registering to vote in Madison County on one side, and then on the opposite side lists the names and a very short capsule biography of each of the six women who were the first in Madison County to register. And that includes the mother of civil rights activist Joseph Lowry. So there's a good connection there with the 1920 suffrage fight and the modern civil rights era as well. This marker then has a local partner with the AHA. 
And that's kind of common with AHA markers, isn't it? Can you describe that whole program of the AHA markers? Sure. So the Alabama Historical Association has been placing markers throughout the state since the 1950s. Since the 1980s, that process has been community-driven. And by that, I mean that local sponsors, whether they be churches or interested individuals, representatives of local governments, they come to this association and we work with them to place markers in those communities. So the process starts at the local level. And we think that's important to build that community relationship. They come to us because of our long relationship with the marker fabricator, which is Siwa Studios in Marietta, Ohio. We're able to work through the process with them, we act as sort of the midwives of the marker program, as Mark Wilson is fond of saying. And I think that's a good characterization because they bring it to us and we work over their text. We talk with them a little bit about representation and, and context, and we make sure that the final text that gets put on the marker is something that both the local community and the association can be pleased with. So we have a style sheet. We have you know, as they say in the publishing world, a house style. We work to make sure that the new markers reflect that, but also that they still represent the original intent that comes from that community. The community finds the funds to pay for that marker, and we facilitate the creation of it. And the association has nearly a thousand markers now that have been placed since the 1950s. We do, on average, about 20 a year. In 2020, we erected 14 new markers, and that's a function of the, the a bit of a slowdown on the part of local folks and our marker fabricator because of the pandemic, but everything is continued throughout the year, and we were able to get 14 new markers ordered in 2020. I'm really pleased with the diversity that's reflected in those markers, and I'm pleased with also the range. They go from Madison County all the way down into South Alabama and points all in between. What kind of cost is involved in erecting a marker? If they have the same text on both sides, the markers cost about twenty-two dollars to $2,300. Now, if it's different text on opposite sides, that goes up a little to twenty-six dollars or $2,700. In addition to that, the association adds on a $100 administrative fee. Uh, that doesn't pay anyone. That doesn't come to me. That goes directly to a dedicated account. That's the marker's insurance policy. And what I mean by that is over the life of that marker, if it fades, if anything happens to it that can be fixed, then the association will pay up to half of the cost of that, up to $500. And so that $100 administrative fee for new markers builds up that fund so that we can do that refurbishment work on up to five markers every year. So with a thousand markers from the 1950s until the present, is there much of a demand for refurbishment? There was a big demand for refurbishment in the years leading up to Alabama's bicentennial. We were pleased to be able to tap into that with the help of the Alabama Tourism Department, who granted the Historical Association $50,000 to refurbish our markers throughout the state. We were able to refurbish about 43 markers with that money, and some of the markers, we did an outright replacement on them. 
they were just simply too far gone to refurbish. But that's also an opportunity to revisit the text of a marker from the 1950s, either because we have new information or we want to make that marker more inclusive. So there were a handful of instances in the grant period where we were able to update older markers, uh, including markers related to the Civil War and some of our older Native American markers. So I think that was money well spent from the tourism department to refurbish the markers and to add some context where we could. Where can people find out about specific markers in Alabama? Is this available anywhere? So there is an index to Alabama's historical markers in really a few places. The first that I'll tell you about is the association's website, alabamahistory.net, and on there you'll find the historical markers tab. From there you can find a link to the text and the locations for a great many of our markers. However, in this era of GPS and this phenomenon known as geocaching and a lot of people going on these trips and interesting history hunts, there are two other sites, the Historical Marker Database, which is a website that has markers from all over the country, including all of AHA's markers. But there's also a site called waymarking.com, which I find myself using quite a bit. It has the text, it has additional information, photos even, and the GPS coordinates. So you can look up markers by county on the association's website, but if you wanted to get more of an idea of the markers, regardless of who placed them, Because in a state like Alabama, at any one time in our history, there have been a half a dozen groups erecting historical markers in the state. So if you want to get a snapshot of what the marker landscape looked like around you, the historical marker database or waymarking.com would be a great place to go. Does a person who wants a marker have to go through an organization? Do they act as vetters and editors? Do the organizations become a funnel for this? Our preference is that the organizations are a funnel for this type of information, you know, and when you put up a marker, you want to make sure that it's accurate. You want to make sure that the text has been vetted, and our process does that. The local sponsors are are welcome to go straight to a marker fabricator if they want, but they lose a few things from that. They lose the benefit of an experience like the AHA's marker committee that's been doing this type of thing for a long time, and they also lose being connected to a large array of other markers in the state. This is one of the things when we dedicate new markers is I make sure to point out at the events that this marker now joins a long list of association-sponsored markers throughout the state. And that when you see our markers, when you see the emblem, which is the state flag in the crest, when you see that, you know that it's connected in some way to the association and it's connected to the history uh, that your marker represents as well. We, over the last several years, have worked diligently to make that process as painless as possible. There is a very simple three-page marker application that gives the committee all the material that they will need to make a justification on that marker. The contact information, the logistical information about where the marker will be placed and by whom it will be placed. It gives us a place to look at the text, gives us a place to review the sources, and all that material comes to me. And then I work with the marker committee member who is either in that special field of history or who is closest in proximity to where that marker would be placed. 
we work that text over and when we send it back to the local sponsor, we are encouraging a dialogue. We're not corporatist about it. We're not dictatorial in that it must be this way. We want to have a conversation with them. But as I said earlier, we want a marker that the text of which both the association and the local sponsors can be pleased with. And that's important for us to have that dialogue. Once they sign off on the text, the ball comes back to our court and we take care of ordering it. And about 12 weeks later, the marker shows up and it's ready for who they have designated in the local community to put it in the ground and schedule their unveiling ceremony. If someone wants to begin this process, who do they contact? Where can they get this thing started? Right. The application is on the association's website, alabamahistory.net. There's a historical markers tab on the far right side of the homepage. Once you click on there, there's general information about our marker program. There's a link to the marker index. But right below that, there's a link for new marker requests. And once they click that link, the world is going to open up to them. They're going to see the new marker application. They're going to see our guidelines, which walk you through the process step by step. Inside those guidelines, they're going to find a style sheet, and they're going to find sample markers for churches, biographies, battles, institutions, community histories. These are five or six examples of markers that we've put out there that says if you're struggling with what to include in your draft text, or if you just want to see what this might look like, here's a good template for you to start from. We encourage people to communicate with me through email or through phone and all the contact information's on the site and on the application as well. We encourage them to open that dialogue with me early. In some communities, there's an added layer there with local regulations on the placement of markers. And so the earlier we know that a community is interested in a marker, the more we can help facilitate that process from start to finish. Do you have an average amount of time from the beginning through the delivery of the marker? So the fabrication is the one thing that is pretty well set. The fabrication takes 10 to 12 weeks upon placement of the order. One of the things that people don't realize is just how economic you have to be in your wording. There's only so much that can fit on the plate of a marker. So those words that we choose then have to work very hard for us. Oftentimes what takes the longest is to convert a 500-page essay into a 275, 300-word marker. And so that's where communication early on between the committee and the local sponsors can really help. It really depends on the number of people who are involved. We have turned marker text around in 24 hours, and we've taken markers that have taken several months to do because of uh, a, a larger number of people who are involved. But we're happy to work through the process, regardless of how long it takes. Scotty, thank you for joining us today. And I hope to see the results of your work popping up all over the state as it has for the past few years. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. 
Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at City Stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org. 